Last week, Sarah began our sermon series on the book of Jonah in the Old Testament, and she looked at chapter one. Her talk was about finding grace in the storm. Now, Jonah was a prophet around 800 to 750 BC, and he wanted basically a God in his own making, one who would smite bad people, like the Ninevites to whom God was ironically calling him, and a God who would bless good people like uh, himself and his fellow countrymen. But Jonah couldn't bear the thought of the Ninevites hearing his preaching, repenting, and then being redeemed by God's grace. He couldn't understand how God could reconcile justice and mercy. So he disobeys God, he boards a ship, sailing in completely the opposite direction. But then God sent such a terrible storm that the ship was going to sink. And Jonah confesses to the crew about his disobedience and they reluctantly throw him overboard. Immediately, the storm calms. And God, in his grace, then sends a large fish to swallow Jonah and prevent him from drowning in the deep. And today, we're going to look at chapter two. And my talk is called Finding Hope at the Bottom. We're going to read the very last verse of chapter one and then all of chapter two, all of which takes place inside the belly of the fish. So get ready, we're going to have a whale of a time. Starting chapter one, verse 17. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes only from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Wow, what a chapter. The whole of chapter two is essentially a prayer and a vomit. But let's get something out of the way, first of all, and deal with the elephant in the room, or should I say the fish in the room. Could Jonah really have survived for three days and three nights in the belly of a fish? I mean, doesn't that sound a bit fishy? I mean, when you book a Grab or an Uber, travel by fish isn't usually an option. But in 1891, the newspapers reported how after falling overboard from a ship, a man called James Bartley was swallowed by a sperm whale and was inside it for three days and three nights. 
Eventually, the whale was harpooned by whale hunters. And when they cut open the whale, to their surprise, there they found Bartley, still alive, but looking rather pale, like a ghost. But either way, I think we don't need to get too hung up on the fish story. I mean, if God is God and he can raise Jesus from the dead after three days, then keeping Jonah alive inside a fish for three days, well, for him, it's a piece of hake. Uh, I mean, a piece of cake. Okay, I promise no more fish jokes. But what is this chapter about and what does Jonah's prayer reveal? Well, if chapter one sets up the story with the themes of race, grace and mission, then chapter two shows us that we can find hope at the bottom. Do you feel like you've hit rock bottom? Or have you known what it's like to hit bottom in the past? See, so far in the book, Jonah has been steadily descending. Chapter one tells us that he went down to Joppa. Then he got down into a ship. Then he went down into the hold of the ship. Then he's thrown overboard and descended down into the depths of the ocean where the fish swallows him. He's literally hit rock bottom. But amazing things can happen at the bottom. J.K. Rowling, the author of the famous Harry Potter books, she gave a Harvard commencement speech in 2008. And in it, she described a point in her life where she had, in her words, quote, failed on an epic scale. An, accept an exceptionally short-lived marriage had imploded, she said, and I was jobless a lone parent and as poor as it's possible to be in modern Britain without being homeless. But she went on to say that it was at that place at rock bottom where she began to direct all of her energy into the one thing that mattered to her, writing. She said that had she succeeded in anything else in her life, then she probably would never have had the determination to succeed in her writing. In other words, she said that her success was built on her failures. And in the Bible, we read of Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, David, Elijah, Peter, all of whom became powerful leaders through failure and suffering. I think the old adage is true. You never realize that Jesus is all that you need until Jesus is all that you have. As Jesus himself says in Matthew 10, 39, you must lose your life to find your life. And one of the challenging things about Jonah's story is we see that God can orchestrate apparently tough things in our lives to save and teach us, a sort of severe mercy. So in Jonah 1, 17, it says the Lord provided, or the Hebrew word literally means appointed, a big fish to swallow Jonah. Then the same word appointed is used later on in Jonah chapter 4 when God appointed a plant to grow over Jonah to provide shade and then he appointed a worm to eat the plant. And Jonah knows that God can orchestrate these things because in his prayer from inside the fish he declares in verse 3 he says to God, you hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. 
But this was a loving mercy of God. For Jonah, the way up was, first of all, down. You see, the usual place to learn the greatest secrets of God's grace is at the bottom. It's when we're at bottom that God reveals things to us about him, his character, and also about ourselves. And it's the place at bottom where he often does his most powerful, transforming work in us. I recently uh, spoke to a friend who goes to Japan a lot, and he told me that uh, on the island of Okinawa, they make this drink from uh, fermenting rice called awamori. And um, I said to him, what's it like? He said, well, when they first ferment awamori, he said, it's disgusting. But when it matures over time, it becomes mellow and smooth and utterly delicious. He said, the only problem is it takes between 30 to 40 years to mature. I was like, wow, that's a long time. He goes, yeah, but don't worry. He said, the locals have worked out the solution. And he sent me this video that you can see. It's of him scuba diving with some of the locals. They take the bottles of wine right down to the bottom of the ocean. And they place the bottles of awamori in a cave at the very, very deepest point in the sea. And there, in the depths, in the darkness, under pressure, the awamori matures at an accelerated rate. It matures four times as quickly so that it's ready to drink and delicious within about eight years. I think we're a little bit like awamori. So if you feel in the depths of despair or at rock bottom right now, then God will be at work in your life. But what should you do? How can you find hope at the bottom? What did Jonah do? Well, firstly, cry out from the depths of despair. Jonah's transformation isn't simply by being at the bottom, but because he prays at the bottom. Verse two says, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. And how does Jonah pray? Well, he's honest. He knows he's a sinner, he's done wrong. And he knew there, that there was divine justice and he deserved it. And he knows there's nothing he can do about it on his own, in his own strength. Actually in verse six, he says this, to the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. He knew he couldn't get out on his own. And yet he is faith-filled in his prayer. He declares, and remember, this is whilst he's in the belly before the fish has vomited him out, before he's saved, he declares in verse six, but you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord, my God. You see, Jonah in the first half of the book is a bit like the prodigal son in Jesus's parable in Luke 15. The son who 
disobeys, runs from God the Father, but then finally comes to his senses when he's at rock bottom and he returns to his father. This is what Jonah is doing in his prayer also. And the prayers that we pray from the depths are often very honest uh, and often due to our desperation, faith-filled. But if you are so broken at the bottom that you're even struggling to pray, then I think it's great advice to ask someone else to pray with you or to pray for you. About two years ago, I was um, leading an Alpha small group and a woman came into uh, as a guest in that small group and um, she shared how she was really struggling with her sleep. She had bad chronic insomnia. So we prayed for her. The, the other people in the small group, we, we all prayed for her to be healed in Jesus' name so she could sleep. And amazingly in his grace, Jesus healed her. The insomnia just went. And I saw her in church just two weeks ago and she came up to me and she said, you know what, Miles, two years on, my sleep is still amazing. So cry out from the depths, the Lord hears. The second thing we can do at the bottom to find hope is embrace grace. You know, although Jonah knows he's getting what he deserves and he, he can't get out of it in his own strength, he throws himself upon God's grace in his prayer. Twice, you'll notice in the prayer, he says to God that he will look again towards your holy temple, verse four. And he says his prayer rose to you, God, to your holy temple, verse seven. You know, as a Jew, Jonah knew that it was over the mercy seat in the temple that God promised to speak to us. In Exodus 25, 22, God says there, above the cover, cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony, there I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. So the mercy seat was the gold slab over the top of the ark of the covenant, the box in which were the 10 commandments. And on the day of atonement, once a year, a priest sprinkled the blood of the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people on the mercy seat. So the idea was that the death of the sacrifice secured forgiveness so that the people could approach God and speak with him. The only problem was that deep down, they knew this didn't really work. As it says in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, it speaks of how the blood of bulls is not enough to take away the sins of people. It goes on to say it required the once for all sacrifice of Jesus, the sinless one. This is why when the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus for a miraculous sign, he said none would be given except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. In Matthew 12, he says, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the son of man, that's meaning Jesus himself, so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is referring to himself, to his saving death on the cross. It was not, as with Jonah, seaweed that was around his head, but a crown of thorns, and he willingly died on the cross after which he was buried in the belly of the earth. And then on the third day, he rose from the dead and stepped out of the darkness of the tomb. The answer to Jonah's troubling question, how can God be both merciful and just? The answer is the cross of Jesus. It's the place where justice and mercy meet. Paul the Apostle Paul writing in Romans 3.26, he speaks of the cross and tells us that Jesus, the ultimate Jonah, is both just and the justifier, that God demonstrated his justice through it, quote, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now, of course, Jonah wouldn't have known all of this at the time, but he understood that grace breaks the cycle of transactional religion. He says in verse eight, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Now he's thinking of the pagan Gentiles like in Nineveh, the, the other, the enemy when he says this, but perhaps he hasn't yet grasped that it also applies to the more subtle idols in his own life because God's amazing grace is for everyone. In October last year, I happened to meet Yaroslav, who is the principal of a theological seminary in Ukraine. And he told me that when the Russians first invaded Ukraine, he found himself praying that the Ukrainian soldiers would be able to kill the Russian soldiers and defeat them. But after a few weeks, he suddenly thought, hold on a minute, since when have I ever believed in praying for people to be killed, to die? Everybody is made in God's image. Why am I praying that? So instead, he changed his prayer and he began to ask God to use the despair of that war to change his heart and to change the heart of his nation, because God's grace is for everyone. And God began to do something amazing. The number of students in his seminary rose from 45 students to 3,265 students. And they've since opened 17 We Care centers across the nation, serving 25,000 people a month, helping meet their physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. What a testimony of grace in action. Embrace grace. And then the third and final thing we can do to find hope at the bottom is give thanks and praise the Lord. Verse nine is the climax of the prayer. Jonah says this, but I, with a song of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes 
from the Lord. What strikes me about Jonah is the way that he begins to thank and praise God before the fish vomits him out onto dry land. There was no way Jonah knew that this was going to happen. This is an amazing example for us to thank God and turn our worries into worship, even whilst we're still at the bottom, even whilst we are still trapped in that dark place. Jonah's declaration of his salvation was by faith. And restoring the broken creator-creature relationship was the real deliverance for him, not the release from the fish. And Jonah ends his prayer with a shout and a declaration. It's a short summary of the whole book of Jonah. Actually, it's a short summary of the entire Bible. He says, salvation comes only from the Lord. And this is because of grace. And the Hebrew word Jonah uses for grace here is very special. It's chesed. It refers to God's steadfast love and kindness and grace. So let us be people who thank God and praise him because of his amazing grace, such that salvation comes only from the Lord. In 1725, John Newton was born. Sadly, his mother passed away when John was just aged seven. And after just two years in school, when he was aged 11, he was sent to sea. Eventually, he became a captain, but a captain of a slave trade ship. But, you know, often what we sow, we reap. And tragically, even John himself was eventually sold into slavery. And he was a slave on the coast of Guinea. And one day, when he was on the shore, desperate to be rescued, he lit a fire, hoping that another ship might see it. And amazingly, a passing ship at that moment saw the fire, sent out a little boat, picked him up and took, rescued him and took him back to the ship. And as they sailed away, he thought, finally, I'm free. But unfortunately, a most terrible storm started on the ocean, raging, and the ship began to fill with water. When all seemed lost, John Newton was down in the hold, helping pump out endless water, at which point he turned to the captain and said, if this doesn't work, the Lord have mercy upon us. At which point he was shocked with what he just said. John thought, mercy? What mercy can there be for a, la for a man like me? And Newton, John Newton at that point, stopped and he prayed and he gave himself to the Lord Jesus. Immediately, the storm broke. He later said these words, it is certain that I am not what I ought to be, but blessed be God. I am not what I once was. God has mercifully brought me up out of the deep it is my heart's great joy to ascribe my salvation entirely to the grace of God. And then John Newton went on and wrote the amazing hymn, Amazing Grace. Why don't we pray right now? 
Lord, I thank you for everyone watching this. And I pray for those who feel at rock bottom, in the depths, in that dark place, either mentally, physically, relationally, financially, or even spiritually. Lord, in that place of pressure, I pray you would do a work in their life right now. Help them to cry out from the depths in prayer, to be reminded of the grace that is sufficient for them. You have not abandoned them. And thank you, Lord, that we can praise you and worship you even from the depths, holding on in faith that salvation comes alone from you. I pray you'd bless them and bring about their deliverance right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.